Welcome to Dancers FAQ, the podcast that gives you health information, keys for action and motivation, as well as tips for your career and well-being. My name is Alix Rigné and I'm very excited to share all of that with you, artists, athletes and dancers. Today, my guest is Santiago Dalvay, a physiotherapist and the founder of Corporis Fabrica, a physiotherapy and body discipline center based in Paris. This interview was made in French. I then translated it into English. Thank you, Claudio, for lending your voice. Today, we will focus on the foot. My first question is, why during class, teachers insist on the fact that we have to put our heels down when we land from jumps? So this is a very good question, and I would in fact love them to insist on that. The truth is, I am not really sure that a lot of dance teachers insist on that. If they were, I wouldn't have so many dancers as my patients and so many young students with problems linked to this technical issue. What is it linked to? It's a problem that is very current and teachers seem to become more aware of it, thankfully. Because the information is there and it's circulating. I mean, there's a lot of fake information around, but there's also some good information. So this problem is very common and it can have several causes. The most common one is a small deficit and lack in the dorsiflexion of the ankle. The dorsiflexion is the movement that makes the foot come closer to the leg. It is what we call flex in dance. The plantar flexion, the other way around, is what we call pointe, pointing, okay? So, when we have a defect in dorsiflexion, we have shallow plies. We quickly feel like taking our heels off the floor. Taking the heels off the floor or not putting pressure on it, like while landing from a jump. But the landing is not the only important thing. There is the propulsion too, right? But what usually causes problems is the landing because the heel doesn't finish the landing process and the front of the foot takes the whole weight. And when we say front of the foot, we say toes, but mainly the metatarsals, the metatarsals bones. So this is the first reason. It can be that, it can be a lack of dorsiflexion. The second reason is in the order of the sensory motor, of the motor control. In other words, it means that we got into a habit of not putting the foot all the way down until the heel during the landing. So there's both. There can be an anatomical stiffness or dorsiflexion that is stiff. There can also be a defect on the move programming. Right. But why is it so important to balance the weight on the whole foot? In other sports like running, especially sprinting, athletes are using the front of the foot and their heels don't participate in the absorption of the impact. Why is it so important in dance? Running is not my area of expertise, but it's true that there is this minimalist running style that is more and more common where runners put only the front of the foot down. It solicits more muscle power like the triceps, for example. But there's also the heel style. I think both are physiological. They both have their characteristics, but their own advantages and disadvantages. I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I think there are fashion effects and running doesn't escape that reality. If we go back to the dancer, the integration of the heel is relevant. Putting the heel down means being supported by the calcaneus. Calcaneus comes from calcaire, limestone. It is a big, solid and dense bone. It's made for it. So when we land from a jump, it starts with the toes, with the actions of the flexor muscles of the toes and the allox. Because there is one muscle for the four toes and another one for the allox. So it starts with the point of the foot, then it goes through the head of the metastarsals and then the landing ends when the heel comes in contact with the floor. That is the deepest position of the foot. 
It means that if you end your landing with the heel, a certain amount of the weight is absorbed by the calcaneus. So roughly speaking, you put the constraint on a wider zone. Alex, it's like when you move into a new house. You call a couple of friends and they come help you and you are less tired. It's the same thing. It's a system for sharing effort. Among dancers, we find a particular type of injury that we call fatigue fracture, and it happens often around the metatarsals. Is there anything to do with what you mentioned before? Absolutely. There are several front of foot pathologies. We can talk about the fatigue fractures of the metatarsals. The second one is often the most injured one because it's clamped between the lateral cuneiform and the medial cuneiform. There are the small bones just before the metatarsals. So the second one is clamped and it is the one that has the highest chance to get a fatigue fracture. So obviously, if at each landing it's the metatarsals heads that deal with all the weight, because toes can help much, then clearly it can predispose to fatigue fracture. We say fatigue fracture, but it could also be a bone edema. That is the stage before fatigue fracture. It's not a fracture, but it's already a bone suffering that shows an excess of constraint. Then there are also the sesamoids. The sesamoids are small bones that we have in the area of the sole of the feet at the front of the metatarsals. They are small bones that have the shape of a sesame seed. They have a stability role for the flexor muscle of the hallux, but they also have a role of reception. If we overuse them, they can break. It is possible to get a sesamoid fracture. Then we can also have metatarsalgia, some unspecified pain that shoots in the area of the metatarsal's head. What else? The hallux valgus? No, I don't think it's related to the landing of the front of the foot. A bursitis? Yes, bursitis on the metatarsal's head. These are roughly the pathologies that come into my mind right now. Pathologies that are linked to jumping and landing without integrating the calcaneus. Okay. And when we say fatigue fracture, why do we use the word fatigue? That's because it's a microtrauma. In opposition to a traumatic fracture, when we break our leg due to a car accident, for instance, the bone has a sudden shock and it goes beyond its tolerance threshold. It fractures. This is a traumatic fracture. When we talk of microtrauma, we're talking about something that didn't happen in a sudden way. It is the gesture that generates too much stress and after a while the bone eventually cracks. But it is a very different type of fracture. It is the periphery of the bone that loses its continuity and it really hurts. But it is not a fracture in the sense of a separation of the bone into pieces or a displacement of the bone like in traumatic fractures. In dance, many teachers use mental representations and images to make dancers do the proper movement. The first image that I think about is the tripod in order to distribute the weight on the whole foot, focusing on the base of the big toe, the base of the pinky toe and the middle of the heel. The other tip that a lot of them give is to send the weight on the second toe during relevé. What do those two images represent? Well, in static mode, the foot is flat, no matter if you are on one foot or on both feet, in a podal or bipodal stance, the foot behaves like a tripod, meaning on three points of support, 
It's like a chair with three legs. It's not as stable as a chair with four legs, but it exists. So there is a posterior point of support that is in fact the calcaneus and two anterior points of support that are, like you said, the base of the first metatarsal and the base of the fifth metatarsal. This is theory. In reality, when you look at the sole of the foot, nine persons out of ten don't have tough skin at the base of their first toe, but at the base of their second toe. Sometimes it's even on the third toe. So this is theory. In reality, this tripod is a bit modified. It all depends on the individual. For your second question, it's true that to hold the axiality and relevé, meaning keeping the ankle aligned and having a stable body weight, you need to look for the support between the first and the second toe. And you know, the first and the second metatarsal have the same length. I mean, it depends on the foot, if you have a square foot or an Egyptian foot, but generally they have roughly the same length and that gives you better support. For example, if a dancer has the head of the second metatarsal longer, it's more unstable. If the weight is between the first and the second metatarsal, it makes the ankle stable, the body stays on an axis. If we talk about a defect among beginners, they for instance take their relevé on the fifth, and in that case the ankle goes in inversion. It is a movement that makes you sort of look at the bottom of your foot, it goes a bit on the side. This predisposes to sprain. There are also fatigue injuries linked to the ligaments. Yeah. But mostly, if you take the balance on the head of the fifth meter tarsal, your relevé is not stable at all. This is really the defect of beginners. Then you have the defect of the ones that want to be more than perfect, the ones that put too much weight on the first. When they are on demi point, they are too much on the head of the first metatarsal, and when they are on point, they are too much on the big toe. And this predisposes to hallux vagus. And this I see a lot. When you are doing a pointe or an arabesque, okay, you want to show the foot and point your pinky toe towards the ceiling, it gives a wavy line that in the dance aesthetic dancers look for. But when you put weight on it, that's another story. You should really not put weight towards the first, because it predisposes to halos vagus. It's really blatant. So I also have a question regarding the plié. It might be a question linked to the landing of the foot. You said earlier that some people can't put their heels down because they don't have a flexion that is deep enough and it makes them land with the front of the foot only. I see typically among ballet dancers, some people going very deep in their demi-plié, making their knees go beyond the line of the toes. I don't know if I'm really clear. You have to imagine a really deep demi-plié. A teacher of mine was strongly advising not to go beyond the line of the toes to avoid stressing the knees and ankles. What do you think about that? Well, when we talk about the demi-plié, the idea is to go as low as possible, keeping the heel on the floor. So if the knees go beyond the toe line, well, that's how it is. It's because the demi-plié is deep, the dorsiflexion is strong. I think that dancers should not limit themselves there and go towards the maximum in the demi-pliés. 
Then, when you go to Grand Plié, you take your heels off the floor. Here it's different for everyone. Some dancers take the heels off the floor very quickly, some dancers can go further. It really depends on the depth of the demi-plié. But for the Grand Plié, the heels come off the floor. I don't think we should limit the flexion of the knee. The knee should instead go to its maximum as far as the ankle lets the heel stay on the floor. Ballet dancers are pointe addicts, so they should really work their dorsiflexion when they can. By the way, when dancers lay down on a bed, I really invite them to pull their feet towards their face and relax, in order to find a neutral placement of the foot. A placement that is more human, I'd like to say. Because, you know, spending the night with pointing feet, well, that's not great, and it can be re-educated in psychomotor therapy. Also, regarding the foot and jump landing, I wanted to say something else. In Batrice, little jumps followed up. Of course, we look for the support of the heel. However, for the big jumps, the leaps on one foot or two feet, we can't stop the flexion of the knee in order to ensure heel support. Meaning, at one point, it is important to be able to bend the knee more, no matter if the heel stays on the floor or not. If, in this case, the heel comes off the floor, it's not a problem. I mean, during the landing, the torso has to stay vertical, because generally, in ballet dance, the torso stays straight and tall. So the hip can't help in the distribution of the impact. Only the knee and the ankle are able to help here. So, in a big jump, it's possible and healthy to let the heel come off the floor, because the support of the knee is needed. We take the heel off the floor, because a deeper plié is needed for that kind of landing. However, for small jumps, there is no need for a deep plié. On top of that, small jumps are usually fast and followed up by other small jumps, so it's essential to think heel, heel, heel. I don't know if that's clear. Yes, that's clear. For the propulsion, same thing. When you do a big propulsion, you can let the heel come off the floor because the knee needs to bend further in order to have a greater push. It's very important to distinguish small and big jumps. From your physio point of view, what are the three superpowers that dancers have? I don't really know what to tell you. The greatest sausage eater probably has a superpower, but is that good or even healthy? Is that useful for something? I'm not super comfortable with this question, but... I would obviously say the stability of the foot in demi-point and on point. This is extraordinary. So the point position is not physiological, but the demi-point is. Rising on the head of the metatarsals in order to do a relevé, it's physiological. And it's true that dancers have a very interesting relevé position. So when you need to grab a jam pot on top of the shelf in the kitchen, it's handy. Then dancers have great stability and endurance in that position, either on one foot or on two feet. Uh, what else? The quality of the flexibility in the landing. You know, in dorsiflexion, the foot becomes longer from front to back. So that is a great adaptability, a high quality in jump landing. So the flexibility of the foot would be the second superpower. A third one, um, what could I say? They can take off the big toe and leave the other ones down, I guess that's okay. They can take off the four other toes leaving the big toe down, that's not too impressive either. But I saw crazy fan moves, wavy moves, positions leaving the three central toes down and lifting the big toe and the pinky toe. I've seen dancers coordinating toe moves with finger moves and then adding arms, rhythms and so on. 
They are coordinational skills, but toes are not there to move so much. They are there to give the body stability, to cling to the floor, to propel the body. They are not made like fingers of the hand in order to have independent mobility. So here are the three superpowers. I could tell you three handicaps next time if you want. To finish with, I wanted to ask you a question about shoes. We see a lot of minimalist shoes around. They're also called bare shoes. They are super thin and very flexible. They allow the people who wear them to feel the floor and to walk in a more conscious way, maybe sending less the weight to the heel. Is this type of shoe something that you recommend? Or would you say that for dancers who spend their whole day without shoes already, it's not the best thing? I'd say these shoes would be great if they came with a train ticket to the beach, because in the city, on concrete, it is nice to have some shock absorption. In the city, you have some concrete everywhere, all the time. If you're in a city with some woods, some grass around, a lot of parks, why not? But I think fashion can predispose to foot overwork and injuries linked to the foot. But going back to something else you mentioned, the fact that people could walk, starting with the heel, being conscious of their walk, I think that's something different. I mean, when you run, you can ask yourself if you are doing it the right way. But during the walk, where there is no questioning, you must walk putting the heel down first. Moreover, this is something I wanted to say regarding dancers. Sometimes they know how to dance, but they don't know how to walk at all. When we walk, we must start with the heel. That's how we allow the heel to support our weight as long as possible. Because when the heel comes off the floor, the Achilles tendon and the triceps are challenged. Each time the heel comes off the floor, they work. And they work already a lot in dance, so we better let them rest when we can. So walking, putting the heel down first, is physiological. It must be encouraged, especially among dancers. There's also another important question. Why is there a deficit in dorsiflexion among dancers? Firstly, it's because there's a great imbalance between the workout of the plantar flexors and the dorsal flexors. Dancers are always doing pointes and relevés, so the posterior muscles are very strong compared to the anterior muscles. It could also be because since a young age they work without being conscious of the need to work the opposite movement. For example, concerning the turnout, each time dancers gain a degree of motion in the turnout, they should make sure they gain a degree of motion in the turn-in. It's the same thing with the foot. Dancers work a lot on their plantar flexion, but never on their dorsiflexion. They should at least stretch their feet. Then there are all these small things like the fact of being conscious of the position of the foot while laying down, while walking, walking with the heel coming down first and the foot rolling all the way to the toes. All these gestures of everyday life that could rebalance the to-do list. Then you also need to have in mind the morphological background. Some people have a shorter tendon and I don't know how much the growth is involved or how much the imbalanced training is. You can also have limitations in the joints, a talus limitation. Articulation-wise, some people have a smaller dorsiflexion. So there are some muscular origins and articular origins. This you must understand. These issues I treat individually here in consultation sessions, but we also organize workshops at Corporus Fabrica that focus on the foot, the ankle and so on. We are willing to pass on notions that go beyond physiotherapy, that go all the way to gesture, dance technique, biomechanics and so on. Thank you. 
And it's true that when you are more experienced, you start doing counter exercise for your hip, for example. But when you are going to your ballet school from 6 to 16 years old, you don't really work on those things. Teachers hardly make you stretch your feet in flex position at the end of the class or work on your turn-in position after the split. It's true that teachers have to make this effort. They are responsible for finding the information and passing it on. Kids depend on their parents and teachers. So there's room for improvement. Santiago, where can we find you? At Corpus Fabrica in Paris, it's a physiotherapy and physical discipline center that I created in 2017, three years ago already. It is in the Bastille neighborhood. You can find us at corpus-fabrica.com. My team and myself are taking care of numerous dancers, musicians and circus artists. We give a great importance to gesture aspects and how the movement is organized. In parallel to that, we have a group of teachers doing yoga, pilates and so on, and they incorporate our principles in biomechanics and movement optimization. We are really a team, we exchange and grow together. We are both passionate about the arts and the body. Okay, super. Great. I will put all the info in the description of the episode. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alix. It was a real pleasure. Thank you guys for listening until the end. If you want to support the podcast, subscribe to the channel and hit five stars on Apple Podcasts. Sharing your favorite episode with a friend is also a very nice way to support us so we can get more listeners. Thanks. Thanks.